the banjo is this like, it has all this power in it. But what if you use that power to do something silly and to take yourself a little less seriously? Play something silly. Be silly for once. It's just like, have some fun. It's not gonna kill you. People aren't gonna take you any less seriously. And if they do, that's their problem. Greetings, everybody. It's Keith Billick here. Welcome to another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. If you are a returning listener, it is great to have you in. And if you are a first-time listener, it's great having you too. I have a feeling we might be getting some additional claw hammer banjo enthusiasts for this episode. And uh, that is great news. I try to be an equal opportunities podcast and always look for good uh, chances to reach across the banjo playing aisle to uh, talk with my claw hammer playing friends. So uh, this should be a good episode for you folks. Before we do that, though, I can't go any further in this episode without acknowledging our very special Patreon supporter of the show. That's John Canaday. He went over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. And for as little as a few dollars per month, you can show your support for the Picky Fingers podcast and uh, support what I do. And it's always greatly, greatly appreciated. And so John Canaday, thank you so much for your generous support. I literally could not keep this podcast going without you and the fellow Patreon supporters. So once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast, just a few dollars a month. And you do get some really great rewards in, uh, in return for doing so. Another great way to support the show is to head over to banjopodcast.com. That is where you can pick up your world-famous Picky Fingers official logo t-shirts and stickers. Spring is here, which means we are all gearing up to go to banjo camps, bluegrass festivals, old-time festivals, and, uh, you know, generally just ready to be seen out and about. And there is no better way to display your intelligence and sophistication to the rest of the world than by wearing one of those official Picky Fingers t-shirts. So head over to BanjoPodcast.com, pick up one of those, and uh, maybe a few for your uh, friends and neighbors. As always, you can contact the show at PickyFingersBanjoPodcast at gmail.com. That mailbox is open for all of your questions, comments, concerns, and uh, offers to extend my car's warranty. Featured guest is Cameron DeWitt, the banjo player from the Tall Poppy String Band and host of the Get Up In The Cool Old Time Music Podcast. In fact, we did a crossover episode together a couple years ago. You can go back to episode number 82 to listen to that crossover episode. And we were, we, we kind of describe it as war of the interviewers, each trying to fight each other for, uh, 
you know, the upper hand in asking the questions and avoid having to answer the questions. And the fact that Cameron has now appeared on this podcast again, I take that to mean, uh, you know, they're waving the white flag of surrender and have conceded the interviewing power to me and the Picky Fingers show. But all joking aside, Cameron is a wonderful Clawhammer banjo player, and they've been up to a lot since the last time we heard from them, including a tall poppy string band recording and touring, plenty of Get Up in the Cool podcasts, and some new Clawhammer workshops, specifically one about how to play rags. So I thought it was a good time to bring Cameron back on the show and get up to speed on what they've been up to. So give a warm picky fingers welcome to Cameron DeWitt. So how have you been anyway? Doing all right? Yeah, I've been doing great. Uh, I guess I saw you in 2021 in October during IBMA. It was the first IBMA back. Right. It's my first IBMA. Yeah, it's been it's been really great. Um, just slowly getting back into the world and um, <laughs> been playing a lot with Tall Poppy String Band, which has been so fun. And it's been really nice to continue to get back into doing get up in the cool interviews that are uh, in person instead of online because overdubbing old time music is basically impossible. Oh yeah. 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 I can imagine. Yeah. It's just, it's just not as fun of an experience all, all around as, as being in the same room with people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, congrats on your five years. I was listening to that episode Thank you this very morning much. and Yeah. How many how many years are you in? I know you predate me by at least a little while. Yeah, not not too much. Uh, I started in 2016 for Get Up in the Cool. So, okay, yeah, missed a couple, couple years weeks in there, you... but um, basically been every week since. So, yeah, you're one of the brave weekly uh, podcasters, which I very much admire, and also don't know how you do it because. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm always scrambling to get these out in time for my every other week schedule. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know how I do it. I'm about to run out of my backlog again, and I'm just like, I have no plans. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's exciting. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but I think it's good for me in my brain to like have a structure, to have deadlines, because then I have to make sure that I'm talking to interesting people at least once a week. Uh, yeah. and playing music with interesting people at least once a week. And that's, you know, I think if left to my own devices, I uh, wouldn't do that as much uh, because, you know, uh, it's hard to do things on purpose. <laughs> right, right, without a plan. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the inertia of staying where you are and yeah. just doing what you're doing. Got it. Well, you mentioned... Uh, tall poppy string band i believe that when we spoke last that was like a brand new project um yeah. just getting off the ground so give me and the listeners an update on who's involved with that what you've been up to and uh yeah bring us up to speed so yeah tall poppy string band is me playing banjo and george jackson playing the fiddle, and Morgan Harris playing the guitar, and we all sing. And uh, we're an old-time trio, and basically I was uh, trying to do like a pandemic solo album because I was jealous because all my other 
friends were doing one and I was just trying to keep a, a new baby alive. And that was like my main project. And I was trying to do the solo album and I wasn't enjoying the company. Uh, and so I just basically <laughs> group messaged them both like, you up, W-Y-D. Uh, and they had never <laughs> met each other. And I was like, let's let's oh, start a band. I just Those were the two people that I wanted to be in a band with. And thankfully, they agreed to do it. And our first meeting, all in the same room together for the first time, was at George's house in Nashville, or just outside of Nashville. And we were getting together to record an album. That's the first time we were all together for the first time. Um, and then I, I met you shortly thereafter. And I'm really grateful that that all worked out and that we worked well together in a studio and we worked well, we work well together on the road. Um, we've gone on a number of tours at this point and we seem to in, still enjoy each other's company and we seem to be a functional band because <laughs> we were putting a lot on the line there <laughs> by yeah, recording an well, album kudos first. to you I, I i mean i imagine when you had this vision of the people who you handpicked to be in a band with it was based probably not just on your knowledge of their musical skill but probably on an intuition that you could hang and get along and and things like that yeah i imagine that's part of it yeah, I think I've developed a, a pretty reliable intuition uh, about that kind of thing. But sometimes, sometimes you're wrong, and that's exciting, yeah. <laughs> you know. And you know, when you're like on these like long like late night drives between gigs uh, on a tour, different parts of the self emerge. <laughs> you start saying yeah. different things, and that has definitely happened uh, with this band. But I like everything that's that's come out so far. So, yeah. Any any salacious stories about when uh, when Doctor Jekyll turns to Mister Hyde <laughs> for any one of you? Oh, um, interesting. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll at least say one for myself. Um, we were like yeah. getting ready to go to Folk Alliance just a month ago, and it was my first Folk Alliance, and I was having like a little bit of like kind of like a panic attack. It's just like I I don't want to go to a conference in a hotel and I don't want to network and what are we doing? <laughs> and George was just like, this is part of the business. Calm down. <laughs> you know, we're, you're going to be fine. Uh, yeah, I just have, you know, a big chip on my shoulder about, you know, music industry and George is a seasoned professional and Morgan is just in the, you know, in the back seat, just uh, hopefully tuning us out <laughs> as we squabble. <laughs> Along for the ride. Yeah, great. Yeah. So I've heard you I've heard you describe the tall poppy string band sound as an inverted bluegrass band. So explain what you mean by that. Yeah, so uh my impression of bluegrass, my limited experience with it is people like to say that there's a rotating spotlight, right? Uh you kind of go around the horn, play your solos, um whether that's completely improvised or an improvised version of the melody, uh depending on how classic of bluegrass it is. And Sure. And then you kind of all come back together at the end, and then and then you're done. Uh, but um, uh, in our band, usually the person who is playing sort of lead melody is not necessarily the person who is being spotlit. Hmm. So that's kind of the nature of old time: is that you know there there aren't these these melodies and chord progressions that have this like really. 
The chord, the melodies don't dictate these specific chord progressions that one could like easily solo over because they're, the melodies are very linear and modal and don't necessarily follow these uh, expectations of harmonic, um, you know, tension and release. And because of that, old time music, more often than not, you have to do it around the line. And then you have to figure out how does one improvise around a line if you have to play the line. Um, and so you get into all these other kinds of improvisation, which is variation on a line or um, how to texturally support or rhythmically support. So, you know, if, um, if George is playing the melody as originally recorded, you know, in the, in the source, yeah. then Morgan and I are finding ways to support or harmonize or, you know, comp around that. And those are kind of the spotlit moments. The yeah. support is the thing that is novel at any one point, uh, as opposed to the stated melody, usually. Imagine you're at least somewhat familiar with Alison Brown, the great sure. bluegrass banjo player. Yeah, yeah. So she she's played quite a bit with John Doyle, the, mm -hmm. the Irish yeah. rhythm guitarist, and that's that sounds a lot like how she describes that. Is that in Irish music, a lot of the improvisation happens at the rhythm and the harmony level? Yeah, rather, absolutely. You know, as the as the <laughs> melody kind of soars above it. That reminds me a lot of what how you just described it. Yeah, like the when I see an Irish group, you know, the guitarist seems to be the one who's having all of the fun and the fiddle is just <laughs> right. has a job to do, you know, and there's little variations, you know, and they're fun too, yeah. but the guitarist is the one who's making all of these decisions. And we like to mm -hmm. uh kind of take turns being support. So, you know, sometimes I'll be stating the melody and Morgan and George are are supporting me and therefore they are the ones who are spotlit. When a rhythm section, which I guess I'll call the rhythm section, whichever two of you are not doing the melody, uh, whenever they are spotlit, are you improvising different rhythms and harmonies? Is that how you, is that what you're doing or is it something you've worked out? Uh, take us like deeper into yeah. how, uh, what, what people should be paying attention to at that point. Yeah. So we are still an old time group. Uh, and because of that, we, in most of the time, we're all kind of playing the melody at the same time. But, uh, 
Well, this is like a, I guess it's like a $20,000 word because that's how much I'm in debt for my music theory degree um, still. <laughs> yeah, you better um, use it. Yeah. Get, your, get your money's worth. So uh, have you heard of the word heterophony before? No. Yeah, no, no one uses but, this word. Don't use this in an old-time jam. Uh, but like old-time music is, in its essence, uh, heterophonic, um, as opposed to like polyphony uh, or, uh-huh. or whatever the other ones are. But heterophonic just means multiple voices stating the same melody, but doing it in ways that are uh, different. Um, so, you know, the way that a clawhammer banjo player would typically state you know, uh, a fiddle tune melody is, you're going to be able to hear it as that melody, but when the fiddle does it, it's going to necessarily be very different, but somehow yeah, it's still the same Yeah, if you transcribe them, it's, it's going to look different on a page if you transcribed what each of those people are doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and okay. the same goes for, you know, guitar. Um, so we're all finding ways to negotiate with the source of the melody and what the melody is and say, that's an interesting question. What is the melody? What little moments in these like old scratchy source recordings that we're listening to are, which elements are ornamentation and which elements are structural and non-negotiable and Mm -hmm. having that conversation in real time uh, in, and in our, in our arrangements is like, I, to me, one of the great joys and one of the great games of playing old time music is getting to the bottom of what is the tune and why. And uh, so, yeah, if, uh, if like Morgan is stating the melody on guitar, um, and, and Morgan is a, a really phenomenal, I, I can't think of any other guitarist, much love to anyone, anyone who's listening who plays old-time melody guitar, uh, which is rare, but like Morgan is my favorite in terms of uh, their ability to get that old-time fiddle feel on the guitar, and I'm just so impressed with what they're able to do. feels old time as opposed to like a, a bluegrass deedle deedle, which I also love. No, no shade <laughs> at all. But it feels really different uh, than um, the way they interpret melodies. So if, you know, we have some tunes where Morgan is stating the melody the entire time, and then maybe I'm, har- you know, I'm harmonizing, you know, uh, a third or a fourth above, or maybe I'm doing some banjo rolls around it. Um, uh, every once in a while, George will engage in, you know, a chop, or maybe if if uh, Morgan is stating the melody really solidly, maybe George will come in and out of the melody and improv improv around it in a way that doesn't step yeah. on it, you know that that kind of thing. But um, you know, the person who is, you know, Morgan is the one who's stating the melody, but the things that are novel and interesting are the people who are, you know, 
George and I in that How moment. How it bounces yeah. off of it, yeah. Yeah, so I, I really enjoy that um, dynamic, especially for, you know, audiences, because there's this, like, where am I supposed to look? There's so much interesting, you know, take your pick. There's so many different things that someone could walk away with uh, after seeing, right. you know, an old-time show. Um, and we try to, like, capitalize on that. That's cool. Now, George plays fiddle with you, but uh, some people may or may not realize he's actually a, a really fantastic banjo player as well. Does he ever play banjo with Tall Poppy as well, or you just leave he him hasn't fiddle? yet. I would love that. I think mostly because we all have to fly to get to each other because we're so spread out. Uh-huh. You know, George is flying with two fiddles, and that's all he can bring. Uh, but I would love it. I love George's... Uh, his, uh, Three finger bluegrass playing, um, right? Yeah, so great. so great, and uh, yeah, uh, especially watching him uh, play that style with Jake Blunt when they're playing together, and uh, uh-huh. play, you know Jake's playing, you know, an old time, you know, like a Manko Sneed, a Noti C tune, and then George is playing Scrug style roles underneath. It's yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. To be able to hear those yeah, two sensibilities cool. together. That's awesome. Is there anything else you'd want to say about Tall Poppy in terms of the way you approach playing banjo with that group or how the banjo fits? I know it's um yeah. it might not be too unusual for an old time band not to have a, a bass player, but for someone like me, that's like it creates a bit of a vacuum that you would need to account for. Yeah, I think we're all trying to cover any or all of the roles of a string band at any given time. So Mm -hmm. trying to play melody, rhythm, and state the harmony. And sometimes I'm more stating the harmony. Sometimes Morgan is on guitar in a traditional old-time backup way. Um, Sometimes George is. Uh, And uh, we, I like to think that we're all sort of trying to kind of float together and give the impression of what a, a typical string band would sound like uh, without necessarily like being fully committal to stating like, this is the downbeat <laughs> or this is the harmony, but doing it with enough conviction that, you know, it implies that. Um, so I, I think that's our, our general goal is to be able to play any of those roles at any time. Um, mm-hmm. But to not have rigid roles uh, at any time. And then it's kind of novel when we have like a, a straight up moment in our, in our tunes where we're like playing like an old time, you know, string band. And in those cases, you know, Morgan is our bassist. Absolutely. Hey folks, just need to take a quick break to tell you all about my good friends up in Lansing, Michigan at Elderly Instruments. Now you might be thinking that with Elderly's amazing selection and their fast worldwide shipping that they are some big box conglomerate store, but no, Elderly has been family owned since 1972 and they pride themselves on giving you the customer service and personal touch that only a mom and pop store can give you. So the next time you need anything for your banjo, guitar, violin, mandolin, any stringed instruments, 
accessories, instructional materials, and I'm talking about whether you're looking for a beginner instrument or even a high-end, vintage, hard-to-find item, Elderly's going to have you covered. It's my first place that I go. So check them out at Elderly.com. And don't forget to let them know that the Piggy Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. This podcast is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, a site that brings you streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other roots music styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in the world. Now, some of what Peghead Nation offers is a great lineup, of course, of banjo instruction. Check out these courses. Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, regardless of what course you choose, you're going to get high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes to play. Now, perhaps the best part of all this is that just by being a Picky Fingers podcast listener, you are going to get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all lowercase, all one word, over at pegheadnation.com. Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is proud to welcome a brand new sponsor, Sullivan Banjos. The Sullivan family has been in the banjo making business for decades and have earned their reputation for the highest quality in materials and craftsmanship. Perhaps the best part is you get the big time Sullivan tone while getting the personal customer service of a small boutique banjo custom shop. Chances are that if you can dream it, Eric Sullivan can build it. My main banjo is proof. I've been playing and loving my Sullivan custom banjo since 2004, and it just keeps getting better and better every day. So hop online and go to sullivanbanjos.com, email them at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com, or get a hold of them the old-fashioned way. Pick up the phone and dial 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell them that Keith from the Picky Fingers podcast sent you. Now, how, when you learn a tune on uh, on banjo, do you typically learn it from other banjoists, or do you learn it from a fiddle? And if you learn it from the fiddle, how much of a stickler are you for a note-to-note rendition versus uh, a banjified, uh, Cameron-interpreted rendition? Yeah, great question. Um, it's really lovely playing with Tall Poppy because... Morgan and George are so groovy that I don't always feel like it is my responsibility to, you know, play the drum on on the banjo, which is often what the claw hammer banjoist does in an old time, you know, yeah. kind of setting. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, if I'm playing a dance and I'm like learning a tune, you know, I'll learn the tune from the fiddler, um, usually on the spot, and I'll try to make sure that I am doing a solid cluck, uh, you know, on the off beats and that I am like yeah. filling a specific role. And then maybe at a point in the dance, like maybe there'll be a point in, in, in during the dance where I'll get really noty and intricate so that there's like some variation, but I won't necessarily want to do that for too long because, um, 
you know, people need something to dance to. In those cases, I'm definitely trying to get 60 to 75% of the notes. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> I'm, you know, usually like if the, if there's like four slots in an old time beat, you know, like, um, Bumpa Ditty, and you could put melody notes in any of those slots. I like to do the something ditty method, which is what I refer to as uh, when someone goes downstroke and then something, and then downstroke usually a chord and then thumb on drone. Um, so that would be like downstroke, hammer on, chord, thumb. And that's like kind of like my main mode when I'm trying to like do a traditional heavy air quotes, you know, old time kind of you, backup. You don't have a way of demonstrating this, do you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without like a, a full... Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear got, it. Got the banter right I think right I follow here. what you mean, but... Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's going to make way more sense if I actually play. Um, <laughs> okay, let me just give like a real old time chestnut, like sail, sail away ladies. Okay. Uh, okay, so if I were to play all the notes of like the A part of Sail Away Ladies, it would be something like this. That's like most of the fiddle notes, right? So if I wanted mm -hmm. to do the something ditty, um, then I'm squishing that melody into this specific pattern, which is bum ditty in my right hand, and then in that second slot between bum and bum and ditty, I could put a, a pull-off or a hammer or a drop thumb or a pitchfork stroke, which is a stroke that I do with uh, my middle, a middle finger upstroke in place of a drop thumb if I want to do a higher string, um, or a slide. Yeah, I, I'll do a brief sidebar to say that anybody who has not heard of Cameron's pitchfork technique. I, I believe we did cover a bit yes. about that in our first interview, and it's really fascinating. I I had never seen anything like it. I'm not sure how many people do something like this, but it's kind of a it's almost a hybrid three finger claw hammer type of deal. I don't know. It's 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 a unique approach. Yeah, uh, you know, sometimes I I don't want to scare people away by making it sound like it's like really counterintuitive or non-idiomatic or whatever, there's actually, and what I say to like cover people is that a bunch of other people have also independently from me invented this technique because it's a really natural oh. thing to do and it doesn't break the claw hammer motion. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, here, here's that sail away ladies uh, with like a something diddy approach. situation with the something ditty where it kind of does a weird thing to the melody where it co it you know the melody starts sounding like da ba 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 it's sort of like a scotch snap or something so it really changes the melody but the hmm. i think the ear kind of interprets it and it's just like well a banjo's doing it so what i actually am hearing is da 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 da, da you know uh, right. I th yeah, but yeah, you're, it fills it in. Yeah, you're you're squishing and squashing it uh, to make it in, to make it feel banjoistic and rhythmic. So like that's what I would do at a dance. 
and, and that's what I do sometimes, you know, in performance settings as well. Um, but I really like being able to go anywhere between, you know, complete a completely pixelated version of the melody, you know, like just the bare skeleton um, to 100% of the melody notes or to 120% of the melody notes, you know, <laughs> like play, <laughs> playing more than is necessary. And, you know, being able to like read the room and try to do, you know, something that's tasteful. And if it's not tasteful, do something that's camp. And uh, there's uh-huh. a lot of, there's a lot of joy along that entire spectrum. Yeah. Absolutely. Come, come see us live. Uh, I really love our record, and I'm really proud of it. Uh, and, not but, but and, the way the music has developed since then is really exciting to me. We have a very different show than what is on our record, uh, but that it is um, consistent spiritually with what we recorded, but I think is developed okay. in a really nice ways, and I'm excited p- for people to hear it live. Any upper Midwest tour dates that you know of uh not yet (laughs) any uh if there's if there's any upper midwest people who want us to you know want to give us an anchor gig of a festival then we'll come out we would love that yeah it's on our list absolutely yeah so so far we're doing like uh we got two colorado things this year and then a west coast and a northeast in the works so but you know, Excellent. follow us on all the places, and we'll come to you if you uh, if you say pretty please and find us a gig <laughs> and a place to crash. I hope I'm managing my own um, podcast uh, host tendencies. Like last time, we were interviewing each other, and we were having like an interview fight, and it was really yeah. fun. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's it's lovely to just to just trust fall into your, your interviewing skills, your lovely interviewer. So <laughs> thank you. How, yeah. how many times have you been interviewed? And I'm asking because I was recently interviewed for my own yeah, podcast, as, as you might know. And it was really uncomfortable. Like it, it was fine. I'm, I'm no, I don't want to oversell it, but like it was definitely less comfortable for me. Uh, oh yeah. Than su- to just take charge and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, for real. It's cool. it's it's really vulnerable to be interviewed, and the you know I've been interviewed a f- number of times at this point, and I think I'm getting better at it. But it is a skill, mm. and if you don't know how to guide an interviewer as uh, the interviewee, um, then you can get in some situations where uh, you're maybe saying some stuff that you don't want to say, or be getting asked questions that you don't want to <laughs> that you don't want to talk about, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, uh, I have to remember that as as I'm an interviewer because uh, you know I, I want people to I want to ask people the questions that they didn't necessarily know that they wanted to be asked. Um, that's always my goal, uh, and if nothing else, I want people to be happy with the conversation that happened and to be like, "Oh, that we happen to have some microphones in front of us." But um, yeah. Want them to feel like it wasn't a waste of like two hours of their day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I won't say where it was from, but I did an interview uh, last year that uh, like someone interviewed me, and it it uh-huh. has not aired, uh, and we haven't had a conversation about it. But I think it's because the interview like went south, <laughs> and I was like, this will be interesting if they air this because this is I was a pretty oppositional like interview guest. <laughs> Um, how so? Like just, uh, you butted heads on something or, uh, 
yeah, a little bit. Um, huh. Well, it, they they basically like I like when I do interviews. I like to come in like pretty unprepared and do sort of negative research or anti research, so that like. <laughs> I am an audience surrogate and I'm surprised and uh you know yeah I'm being tongue in cheek like I I do like to know a little bit but this person was like referencing one of the first times I was interviewed uh, a lot in the interview and uh that was like before I came out and it was like while I was still going to church and all this stuff and I was just like I don't want to talk about <laughs> this stuff this is really rough for me being uh yeah. you know uh confronted with an earlier model of myself and there's been some crucial system updates <laughs> since then <laughs> uh yeah oh, well that's interesting I thought you did lovely in the interviewee seat recently so good on you you Thanks. you picked someone you trusted Absolutely. Yeah. It was a, a long time friend and somewhat bourbon aided. So that, yeah, that always helps. That absolutely does. <laughs> <laughs> so on the topic of podcast, yeah, how how's yours going? I saw that you had uh Trey Wellington on recently, who is of course a picky fingers uh veteran. Yes. So uh we, we love him around here. Um so I, I will have to check that out. I haven't listened yet, but uh I don't know. Any anything noteworthy that People should know about the podcast updates and he... Oh, yeah. Trey, Trey Wellington was uh, so lovely to interview. You know, he... Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I, I think we really got into the, the nature of, you know, bl bluegrass mu uh, music as a, like, part of what people are consuming is, like, displays of power. And then he sort of talked about ways that some of those displays of power are actually the power to support and power with and stuff. And like, I, hmm. I think he had some really cool stuff to say and st cool stuff to say about like how to uh, be an individual when people have so many needs <laughs> about like what they need bluegrass to mean for them or what they need the banjo to mean for them and how that intersects with like race and tradition and all that stuff. Uh, ah, he's a real smart person. And I sure did try really hard to kind of keep up with him, um, just in terms of musicality, because he's such an amazing musician. And uh, but mm -hmm. he 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 likes old time tunes. Like he pulled out some like good old time tunes. It was really cool. Uh, I was oh, grateful. Cool. I was grateful because I did like one of his original tunes. I did my best, <laughs> but uh -huh. uh, I was really gr grateful that he was like, "Let's play half past four. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the podcast is That's still cool. happening every week somehow, and um, I, I'm I'm just really grateful to be able to continue to do it. Um, we're coming up on episode 350 pretty soon, uh, within wow. a number of weeks, and uh, we've had some really awesome. I've had some really awesome guests on it, like uh, Bruce Bruce Malski was on last year, and oh, Dirk wow. Powell yeah. was just on. Uh, and and Amelia Powell, uh, his daughter. In addition to you know a bunch of like household names that I've been wanting to interview for a long time, uh, there are just a bunch of people who don't necessarily have name recognition uh, who are just as good. And that's like the real joy of the show for me is um, the field recording you know, aspect of the show is recording under recorded people or unrecorded yeah. people. Shining and, some light on people's talents. Yeah. Cause yeah, the, the all time, you know, music community, there's, there's so many amazing musicians who 
um, don't make any money or get any recognition because that's not why they're doing it. And, uh, but they could if they wanted, you know, and it's really lovely to, to find those people and, and then to have them report back to me, Hey, I met all of these, these people reached out to me or I met them at a fillers convention or, or whatever. And they said, I listened to your interview. I know who you are. And it makes me feel really happy because, um, uh, there's like a, a sort of a downward mobility of, of old time music. And, um, I like shining a light on people who are thriving in obscurity, I guess, and, and who choose obscurity. I totally agree. That's one of my favorite things to hear is when a, a past guest tells, tells me that, you know, they sold a few tickets to a show because yeah. someone heard them on the podcast and, and, now is a fan of someone who they didn't know of before. So yeah, I totally relate. Yeah. Um, as we discussed on the previous time that we did our co podcasting uh-huh. episode, I'm always fascinated by, you know, the, the format of yours is that you play tunes along with your guests and it's really cool. And you often have to learn things on very, very short notice, uh, sometimes zero notice. So <laughs> have there been any particular guests recently that, I don't know, gave you a particularly interesting challenge or something, something banjoistically to tackle that was oh, yeah. a bit different? I've had to do some, um, I'm trying to learn how to claw hammer jig, uh, and I get how to do it, but it's really hard. And I can imagine. Yeah. I just, I need to do a lot more wood shedding, but, um, yeah, I, uh, the episode I'm editing right now, which will, I'm sure be out by the time our interview is, uh, is posted, uh, is with Flynn Cohen and he, you know, plays some old time stuff, but also plays some like Irish stuff and, uh, you know, playing, playing hornpipes and jigs and stuff, even though it's, you know, it's the same scales, (laughs) you know, they're, they're always, they're almost always like square tunes. Uh, it shouldn't be that much harder, but it is. Because uh, the the angles of the tunes are somehow different, and the 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 rhythmic feel of the tune is so is so different. So um, I enjoy doing the podcast because I get to be put in um, uh, uncomfortable, musically uncomfortable situations, and if something goes wrong on my end, then I get that gets to be part of the interview. <laughs> And it's just a uh-huh. candid moment, you know, as opposed to uh, like, oh, I'm cutting a record. It's like, I would never choose to cut yeah, a record that, where I'm playing a bunch of Irish chicks. <laughs> never. Yeah, that's really brave of you. I mean, since you're on the topic, what what are your tips, like maybe even banjo in hand for, for Clawhammer players to tackle jig time music? Because I can understand how, you know, the, the typical bum ditty motion sometimes right. doesn't account for accents in the right places on a six, eight tune. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely not an authority on this and there are people who have put in a lot more work on this, uh, uh, than I have, uh, namely Alison DeGroot. I feel like she's kind of the best at, at that as far as, as far as I've seen okay. in terms of like making it feel like, really feel like Clawhammer, but the rhythm is uh, is jig, you know, and, and yeah. like the material is jig uh, in yeah, Irish. She's amazing. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, the the main thing that I seem to see people do is to go down something down. Um, so down pick, mm. 
and then you know a hammer on, a drop thumb, a pull off, a slide, and then down. And that's the pattern, which is really tricky because if it's a fast jig, you're having to go da 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 da. Um, yeah. But that's what tenor banjo players are doing, and that's what guitarists are doing when they're playing jigs. And uh, there are, you know, it it shouldn't be any more physically challenging than it is for them to do that with a claw hammer stroke, uh, I don't think. But because I don't exercise that muscle and that feel, uh, you know, you tense up. So you just have to, you have to do it a right. bunch. And it's really hard to, to do it a bunch because people in the old-time music world aren't socially playing jigs. Uh, so maybe I guess my advice would be, you know, figure out that basic uh, stroke, get that basically in your muscle memory, and then find some people who want to play jigs with you. That's something I need to do. And Go then an think, Irish session or something. Yeah, yeah if they'll have you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly let's move on you mentioned that you have a very interesting sounding course an, an online course a workshop series coming up um regarding playing rags on claw hammer banjo now ex explain to me why is there is there a big demand for learning rags uh, yeah yeah on, on so yeah about that um this is the <laughs> workshop series that I want to, to teach that no one asked for. Uh, so thank you for helping me spotlight and, and like make, me, make my pitch a little bit. Of course. So uh, no, uh, people aren't asking to do this, uh, although I have had some signups, and hopefully I'll get some more by the time uh, uh, this workshop series happens. But... Yeah, typically, you know, in an old-time jam setting, uh, you know, you play your D-tunes, you play your G-tunes, you play your A-tunes. And then eventually yeah. some fiddler at the jam is going to say, shall we move to C? Uh, and then there might be some grumbling. Uh, and then <laughs> people move to C, and then you start playing C-tunes, many of which are uh, ragtime in nature. And... Because ragtime music is harmonically complex and rhythmically complex in different ways than um, other old-time repertoire is, uh, a lot of um, clawhammer banjo players uh, uh, don't like participating in them. And some of them even mm -hmm. don't like the rags. But I... I suspect they don't like them because it's because that signals, oh, it's my time. You know, I'm just going to go get a beer, uh, and yeah. you know. And so I, I know I, I made a poll recently on like one of the Facebook Clawhammer groups, uh, saying like, what do you what do you do? And like, I, I think a majority of you know the people in the poll said, yeah, I go get a beer, I sit out, and then some people <laughs> struggle through them, uh, and then some people. Uh, like them and you know know what to do or have a thing that they do when when it comes time for the rag. Okay, so let's. Uh, I have several questions about what you've already said. You've coupled playing the rag tunes with moving to the key of C. Now, does this have something to do with the fact that they come from a piano tradition and key of C, of course, is very piano friendly? Is is does that have something to do with it? That's a good question. Uh, so. There are rags, you know, that are in all of the keys. And I seem to see more fiddle rags in the key of uh, keys of C, F, B flat, and 
on down that side of the circle of fifths. Um, hmm. So uh, there, I, there are exceptions. You know, there are G and D rags. Um, I don't necessarily know if I've heard very many A rags, but it seems to be like, you know, no sharps and, you know, flats if, if possible um, seem to be hmm. the thing that is uh, desired. And I suspect that that has something to do with the shape of the rag under the fingers for the fiddler and having, you know, standard violin tuning. Uh, so like a lot of rags are, um, if you play it on the fiddle, it's one shape across two strings. And then you take that same shape and then you move it to two lower strings. So you're d doing the same thing physically, but just moving it to lower. And then uh, by doing that, you are, you know, taking it around the circle of fifths, essentially, um, mm -hmm. because the violin is tuned at fifths. Uh, and the, you know, when you're playing in the key of C, your open strings are E, A, D, and G. And it's like, that's the circle of fifths, you know? Um, yeah. So, like, uh, having your home note be like a fretted note as opposed to... Um, an open string note, I think, allows you to play these very raggy shapes. Um, okay. So that that's my understanding. So you, you, you mentioned how it moves through a circle of fifths, at least, you know, one or two steps removed or whatever. Is that what makes a rag a rag? So I, I had Jerron Paxton on the show last year, and mm -hmm. um, some people might know him as Blind Boy Paxton. Oh, it may rain, it may pour, it may rain a whole lot more, but bound to go, bound to go, baby. Oh, the roll up, bound to go, bound to go, bound to go. Oh, bound to go, bound to go, oh, the roll up, bound to go, bound to go, bound to go, oh, the roll up, Has he been on your show? No, I would love to. I, I've never met him. He's out of New York. Is that right? Yeah. Highly recommend it. I had to like, I was like hounding him at Fiddle Tunes for like the whole, the whole time, just like waiting around trying to get an interview with him. And he's pretty slippery as a guest. Uh, and I think intentionally so. But uh, some, I was like, I can't get an interview with this guy. And someone was like, what you got to do is you got to show up where he is and he's going to be holding court with his admirers that he deserves. Yeah. And eventually they're all going to leave and go somewhere else or go to bed. And you need to be the last one there and then have your microphones turned on. <laughs> and that's and what happened. That. Yeah. Uh, you know, we ended up recording at like, you know, one or two in the morning uh, in one of the like <laughs> staff house, staff houses. And we had just the loveliest hang. And we did, you know, uh, have lovely off record hangs before that as well. But um, uh, anyway, he's talking about ragtime. Uh, Drawn was saying that, at least in in his experience, uh, rag ragging it ref is more of a rhythmic statement um, than a harmonic statement. And so, uh, you know, I think we played like 
the old yellow dog went trotting through the meat in house. And, you know, and he's like, who are you ragging it there? And I was like, oh, interesting. But there's no, you know, secondary dominant chords. And he's like, that's not what that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I thought I, that was really helpful for me to hear because I often associate, you know, ragtime with being this sort of like proto jazz harmony, you know. And yeah, he, you get some like six two five action yeah. in it or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that is what I'll be doing in. In, in this workshop series, but he, you know, made this case for, you know, the original meaning of the term rag, it, to, to rag something, is to uh, syncopate the rhythm in these particular ways. Um, and it doesn't necessarily huh. mean playing a 6251 turnaround. Um, okay. So I thought that was really helpful, and um, my understanding is that uh, ragtime comes from, uh, you know, black string band traditions and that's you know that's Geron's uh expertise or one of his expertise says <laughs> so I, I wonder if those elements that he hears uh, uh I can't help but wonder are those still present in the way that current bluegrass and old time players play those tunes yeah I don't really know yeah, you'll have to get him on the show. <laughs> have him talk some <laughs> I, shit. I would love to. Okay. I'll have my my Red Bull energy drink ready for how late I need to stay up to to get the interview, apparently. It's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so then back to your online workshop, what do you intend to cover? And, and I don't know, maybe you could even give us a, a, a taste of yeah. what are some skills that are involved in playing rags that people are going to need to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I want to cover all of the things that are necessary, I think, to thrive in rag territory as a claw hammer player. Um, mm. And w for one thing, I'm going to be teaching this workshop. Uh, we're doing all just C rags, okay. but I'm going to be teaching it in standard G tuning in a, a bluegrass kind of way. Um, you know, we're going to be playing in standard G tuning in the C shape, C shapes. Um, and that I think is the, the main thing that holds back claw hammer players from playing rags comfortably uh, is most claw hammer players prefer to be in uh, double C tuning, which is, um, you know, from the fourth string to the first string, it would be C, G, C, D, and then with a G on the fifth string. Um, and that is a lovely tuning for all sorts of old-time tunes. Uh, yeah. I think it is the worst tuning for playing ragtime music uh, because wow. you have this, like, big dulcimer like drone in, in the bottom, and then you have, yeah. you know, two, two strings that are... Uh, a whole step apart, which is really <laughs> awkward for playing any kind of lines. And um, I think the chord shapes are really bizarre and uh, and it's really hard to like to establish the harmony and you have to stretch your fingers. It's really awkward. And I think that standard G tuning is way easier for playing closed position shapes and for, um, you know, doing that thing that the fiddle does where it 
you know, it plays one shape on two strings and then moves it to another set of strings, but it's the same shape. And you can do that kind of thing in standard G tuning. Like, um, I'll show an example. Uh, I have a pre-recorded thing so you can hear the harmony underneath it. Uh, but uh, I'll play it just on banjo first. So there's this tune, um, Stone's Rag, and uh, there's different versions of it. My favorite one is this, like, really crooked old-time version that I got from John Beckhoff, uh, who's a Vermont fiddler, um, and I don't know where he got it, uh, originally. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, the, the, the opening line is. And then the next line is. So it's the same exact intervals, just transposed. And um, if I'm in standard G tuning, then I can take that shape uh, up here in seventh fret position, and I just move it down, and I play the exact same thing. Um, so it's like the same right hand technique, a little bit less problem solving, and and I barely move my left hand, um, and it's it, taking advantage of the same. The things that are easy about rags or idiomatic on the fiddle, and just you know applying it to the banjo, because there's like a bunch of different ways that I could play that same thing. You know, like there's so much overlap because the strings on a banjo are tuned so close to each other. But by yeah. approaching it, you know, this way, you're just moving these shapes around, and you know, so many of these ragtime tunes, you know, they're they're kind of like barely me melodies. They're more just like chord progression stated through a line. And, and because yeah. of that, if you know where to put your hands, there are ways to interpret the melodies that are um, way less effort than, uh, than if I was in double C. So if I were to do that same melody in double C, it would sound and look a little something like this. Uh, so... Um, in order, right off the bat, in double C tuning, I'm going, um, I'm going two pitchforks in this weird, like, melodic band, melodic <laughs> claw hammer shape. And I'm, like, uh, doing a bunch of, like, really counterintuitive motion, um, taking advantage yeah, of open strings. Um, it's, like, really hard to track. Uh, and, then, and then it doesn't have anything to do with what you do after the, the chord change comes. Yeah, yeah, this shape yeah. is totally different. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then if I want to, like, state a harmony underneath that, you know, it's, I, I, I have to, I can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, and right. then, and then with, later on... figuring it out, yeah. Later on, the tune goes through the circle of fifths, and it goes... that um so you know by having it in standard g i can go uh i can grab those full harmonies in my strums and yeah cool and it's just way easier the notes are closer together and um the shapes are recyclable and um you know once you get some of those uh like double c is designed to be easy and intuitive for a certain kind of tune. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if you're playing uh, Kentucky tunes, uh, playing West Virginia tunes um, that aren't rags, obviously they play rags in 
Kentucky and West Virginia <laughs> as well. Um, but uh, double C works lovely, and it's uh, but but it just doesn't work. Uh, it's so much harder to to do rags in double C than in standard G. Um, so I'll be like teaching how to navigate standard G tuning so that one can play can play rags. Um, and do you already do. have the pieces selected that you'll be covering? And yeah, so I, which ones will they be? I have, I have a few of them. Um, so I, I'm going to try to do four pieces if, you know, do uh -huh. one, one per week. Um, and sure. there'll be crossover, but, uh, I have some examples that I pre-recorded with guitar. If you want to hear some, some examples. Oh yeah, of course. So, uh, let's do like a classic. We'll do like L and N, um, LNN rag. Uh, I mm -hmm. people play this in bluegrass circles too, right? People play LNN. I've heard it. It's yeah, not too common. I've, okay. I've heard it once or twice. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, this is like a you know a, a chestnut of a rag. Um, yeah. You know, everyone who play if if someone knows one rag, it'll probably be this one. Uh, so uh, let's uh, take a listen. <laughs> That's an example of the kind of thing we'd work on. Um, you know, we'll get into the upper yeah. octave if we have time, if we're feeling good. Um, yeah. But um, in order to play that tune, there's like a lot of motion that is necessary and a lot of closed and half-closed positions and things that shouldn't necessarily be that physically demanding. Just like, just like with jigs, you know, it's like there's no reason it should be impossible to play these. But because mm. we're like out of practice at them uh, as old-time players, uh, you know, it's it's hard. Uh, but unlike jigs, yeah. people do play rags at old-time jams. And uh, there are opportunities to play them socially and to enjoy playing them and not just practice them. Uh, so yeah, I you, think... You can wait to get your beer later. Play the, play the rags. Yeah, wait. I think so. I think it's worth it. Uh, <laughs> the intoxication that rags... Uh, can offer is is on par with beer. I think this is another thing about much like, healthier. Yeah, uh, about about rags is like I think sometimes people want old time to be mysterious and soulful and enigmatic, and sometimes I think people dismiss rags because they're fun 
on purpose. And because maybe they're a little dorky or maybe they're high camp. And um, I think that the people are maybe missing out on some opportunities for the earnest pleasure of uh, that kind of, you know, finger snapping kind of tune. And, um, you know, some of the lightness that, you know, like that a rag can offer. And um, I I think it's worth taking little breaks from our like spooky modal tunes to like play something like, Play something silly. Be silly for once. Uh, that, that's my general yeah, call. Like it could be a, like a Charlie Chaplin soundtrack or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's just like have some fun, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> It's not going to kill you. People aren't going to take you any less seriously. And if they do, that's their problem. I think there's like yeah. this like uh, block that some yeah old-time players have. I think especially banjo players because they, they want this like magic wand, um, you know, experience of... You know, oh, the the banjo is this like totem of uh, it has all this power in it, uh, and and I and I guess what I'm trying to say is yes, I think that's true. Uh, but what if you use that power to do something silly and to take yourself a little less seriously, and to yeah, like enjoy. You know, you got frets on this thing. You, you know, I mean, if you have a fretted banjo. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you use the frets. They could do all sorts of really neat things, you know, and uh, um, that's my. <laughs> well, and presumably they're not even getting called until you've already played all of the D tunes and G tunes and A tunes anyway. So, what, like, what are you waiting for? Right. Yeah. You get to like hang out in the jam when everyone else is sort of like fallen away. And then the, that one fiddler who's been like wanting to get a little raggy is like, Am I going to not bum everyone out now if I if I call a rag? Is it is it acceptable? And then you get the dredges of the jam, and um, that stuff can be really fun, just socially too. Heck yeah, yeah. Well, right on. Um, I don't know any anything we haven't covered about any of these topics yet. I mean, obviously, I want you to to make sure people know how to sign up for this stuff and how to find Tall Poppy String Band tour dates uh, for those trips that you're going on. Um, so fill us in on all that, but but open floor if there's anything we forgot to talk about that might be interesting. Yeah, I guess the the last thing that I'll say about um, you know Clawhammer in general and specifically how you know you know some of the skills needed to learn how to play rags well um, can also yeah. transfer over into the rest of old time repertoire um, and mm-hmm. can improve your playing. And I, I the rhythm is like is a big part of it. Um, because uh, Clawhammer, I like to think of as as a subtractive art. You're chiseling away. Uh, the you know the when you when you take away notes, that's when interesting stuff happens. Uh, but your hand is still moving. It's going bang 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 and asserting the pulse. Um, not dissimilar from you know flat picking um, in that regard. But it's you know pretty different from like three finger, where my understanding is that you know if if you have a note, then your finger moves. And if, and if there's no note in that slot, then your fingers are waiting, you know, to, yeah. to be put into motion. It's, it's kind right. of the opposite of that. Um, and a lot of interesting stuff happens when you take a note away. For instance, you know, your basic stroke of um, bum-pa-dit-ti, um, when you take away the second slot of that, that beat, you know, turns into bum-ditty. 
I've taken something away, but it's already way more interesting. There's like a, a statement there, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to... And you can continue that on through, you know, any of those four slots of the beat and switching them around and uh, combining different patterns of absences, um, you know, uh, beat to beat. And you can get these like really lovely, uh, really lovely figures like, um, like in that Stones rack. There's a little break there. Uh, and you know those those moments of absences, those ghost strokes and things like that. Um, that happens in non-ragtime music all the time. And if you yeah. can learn how to like anticipate a phrase, start it before the beat happens. You know the same things that are necessary for learning Knoxville rag are necessary for I think really feeling like playing like a Clyde Davenport Kentucky fiddle tune. Um, and enjoying the the phrasing and you know but in order to like anticipate an, a note and start a phrase earlier than it's supposed to it's not going to sound right unless you leave space after that anticipated note yeah. and like that's that stuff's you know yeah. it's really it's really challenging on claw hammer um but uh once you get it in your muscle memory um it you'll you'll just hear the music really differently uh because you're feeling it differently and uh you know, if you go and listen to like um, Fraser and Patterson recordings, um, uh, I, I believe they're a, a, a black banjo uh, fiddle duo from the Nashville area, I believe, or from Tennessee, somewhere in Tennessee. Um, and, yeah. you know, you listen to that banjo playing and it's like so thrilling because there are so few notes happening, but where the notes are happening hmm. is... Uh, really interesting <laughs> and uh yeah and what what era is that duo from Ooh, is, is that's, that a, a, that's a good question uh are we talking like 100 years ago like they're not still playing no 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 they're okay i'm gonna mm, please don't old time cancel me 30s uh okay. <laughs> that's even that's just how, general i just didn't know yeah. if it was like a current group versus uh early source material type stuff er, early source material definitely like to me, and I'm not sure exactly, I'm not an expert on this, uh, but when I hear those recordings, they sound like they were recorded in their 30s, and they sound like the players, Fraser and Patterson, are old at that point. is so sophisticated and so um, unanchored from uh, 
uh, uh, anything like a like a like a metronome or or a or a bum ditty or a, a boom chuck on a guitar, and it's so thrilling to listen to, and it's it's thrilling to play too. The dance of it is 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 really exciting, and the ways you can push and pull time. Um, yeah, uh, so the stuff will carry over, even if you're not a, f- a huge fan of rags or can't be convinced to like <laughs> loosen up a little bit. <laughs> uh, you c- your ability to play um, and to feel some of those, you know, spooky, mysterious old time mountain music stuff uh, will be mm-hmm. improved and and uh, nourished by the the same skills that are necessary for playing rags. That's my pitch. Yeah, that make that makes sense a lot. <laughs> you tell I'm enjoying the sale of like this thing no one wants. You know, it's just like no, you, you, everyone you know should have this in their ho- in their homes. You know, <laughs> you're being you're being very realistic and self aware about it. It's okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, how do people sign up? Uh, CameronDeWitt.com slash store. Uh, it's just uh, in my online store. Just buy your registration for it. Uh, we do these workshops um, via Discord, uh, which is, I think, a really lovely platform. And you know, we can have video chat on it, and it has all the same functionality of you know Zoom or whatever you're used to. It's basically set up the same way. But you also have these like little you know, channels uh, of text channels where I'll put, you could talk to each other or I'll put resources that we worked on. I'll put the fully recorded workshops, you know, uh, links to that in in those spots. And um, mm. yeah, it's, it's a, I think, a really lovely uh, way to do workshops so you don't have to keep track of all of your notes, um, you know, separately on your own. It's just all in one centralized uh, place. You meet and yeah. and and review all in one spot, uh, and all you have to do is download an app. You know, it's it's yeah. really not that bad. Uh, but yeah, so people sign up, um, uh, cameradoit.com slash store, and I'm also offering an intro to Double C uh, for beginners as well at the same time. Oh, cool. um, Or the same days. So for people who aren't, because the RAGS one is going to be an intermediate advanced workshop, and I also... Um, want to offer, you know, like a, a beginner double C, double D workshop as well. So I don't necessarily have anything specific to say about that one other than I it will enjoy teaching it. And, you know, if you want to get familiar with that tuning, you know, sign up and it'll be, it'll be great. We'll go through all the basics and you'll walk away uh, feeling a lot less intimidated by that tuning. So, and then, um, you know, for Tall Poppy String Band, uh, the best way to, stay up to date with us is to follow us on Instagram at tall poppy string band, but we're also on Facebook if you prefer that. And we, you know, yeah. we'll post our tour dates and uh, post videos and news and everything that you need. Um, we're all teaching at, um, at Valley of the moon camp at Alistair Frazier's Valley of the moon camp in August. Hmm. So if you want to like come hang out with us and study with us, uh, sign up for that. And where um, is that? It's uh, in the Bay Area, generally. I don't know specifically, okay. but I think one would right on. fly in to San Francisco if you had to fly in. Yeah, So okay, got it. Yeah. Great, so yeah, check check out Cameron's work at those places. Check out Get Up in the Cool. Always like new and interesting conversations happening every week, so 
yeah, lot to <laughs> lot for anyone else to keep up with, which you know reinforces my amazement that you're able to keep up with all of it. So I'm trying. <laughs> uh, well, hey, it's been really great catching up with you, and uh, looking forward to hearing all those ragtime tunes being played at old time circles around the country. Yeah, uh, that's my in, mission. In just a few short months. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to sweep the old time circles. Thanks so much for having me, Keith. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Those sound clips you heard, the first three were from the Tall Poppy String Band. That was Cuckoo, Old Cow Died, and Kiss Me Quick, My Papa's a Coming. And after that, we had Bound to Go by Jerron Blind Boy Paxton, and then Poor Black Sheep from Nathan Frazier and Frank Patterson. Thank you once again to John Canaday, that's the Patreon supporter of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash banjopodcast to support the show yourself, or just to banjopodcast.com to pick up one of those world-famous official Picky Fingers logo t-shirts and stickers. Contact the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me, folks. I'll see you all next time.